In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as Paul said, today we are celebrating All Saints Day. All Saints Day is one of my favorite days in the church calendar. I love the music that we sing. I love the way that it rings in the season of fall for me, and it sets the table for the next few months of Advent and Christmas. But it would be disingenuous to suggest that today, this All Saints Day, is a day of pure joy and celebration. Today we do remember that through the enduring grace of God, we are still connected with the communion of saints and look forward to the day when we will be reunited with all our loved ones in heaven and the new Jerusalem. But today is undoubtedly a day of mourning as well. In a few moments, Paul will read the list of names of those who've died in our parish over the last year. We'll once again commend them to the mercy of God. And tears will be shed, and we'll look with hope and faith upon the promise of God's power and authority over sin and death. The power and the beauty of All Saints Day, I think, is that it's honest. It welcomes the truth about who we are, how we feel in the midst of life, the highs and the lows. And into that space, that space that we might otherwise call reality, All Saints Day reminds us of the deeper reality of God's power and God's presence among us. And this is what we see from Jesus in John's Gospel that Colin just read. We see Jesus enter into the realities of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see him embrace the situation and the people involved in a genuine and a powerful way. Jesus arrives on the scene four days after Lazarus has died, and Mary and Martha, the dead man's sisters, are understandably devastated. They're not putting on some sort of a good face. They're upset, and they're even mad at Jesus, and they let him know. Where were you, Jesus? Mary undoubtedly cries. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, Jesus enters into the middle of this scene, and what he doesn't do is almost as profound and as important as what he does do. Jesus doesn't tell her everything happens for a reason. He doesn't tell her everything's going to be okay. He doesn't dismiss her emotions and grief by shoving a box of tissues into her face. In fact, what he does is he cries himself. Jesus began to weep, we read. And in doing so, Jesus comes alongside the sisters in their grief. Much like a parent loving an upset child, Jesus gets onto the ground next to them and says, I'm so sorry. You're right. This is not okay. You're right to be upset. If you've ever experienced grief, you know how powerful someone doing that can be. Because the last thing you want or need when you're tearfully pouring out the details of a difficult day at work or if you're sharing the news of a dear friend's death, what can hurt all the more is hearing some rationalization or platitude or dismissal of the tragedy that you're feeling. Instead, what Jesus offers is an affirmation of the reality that life is hard and we will experience grief and death. You're not alone in this, Jesus is showing us, because you're not the only one who feels this way. But you're also not left alone to your own devices when it comes to your grief. 
There's an illustration that comes to my mind of what the opposite of what Jesus' presence in our grief looks like. About a decade ago, there was a slogan plastered on the side of buses throughout London that was sponsored by a group of sort of atheist lobbyists. And the atheist bus, as some uh, began to call it, said this, There's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. Francis Spufford, the author of a fantastic book called Unapologetic, brings up this illustration, and he has this to say about the bus. All right, which word here is the questionable one, the aggressive one, the one that parts company with recognizable human experience so fast it doesn't even have time to wave goodbye? It isn't probably. New atheists aren't claiming anything outrageous when they say that there probably isn't a God. It's as much a guess for them as it is for us in some way. No, the word that offends against realism here is enjoy. I'm sorry, enjoy your life? I'm not making some kind of neo-Puritan objection to enjoyment. Enjoyment is lovely. Enjoyment is great. The more enjoyment, the better. But enjoyment is just one emotion. To say that life is to be enjoyed, just enjoyed, is like saying that mountains should only have summits, or that all colors should be purple, or that all plays should be Shakespeare. The implication of the bus slogan is that enjoyment would be your natural state if you weren't being worried by us believers and our hellfire preaching. Take away the malignant threat of God talk and you would revert to continuous pleasure under cloudless skies. What's so wrong with this? apart from it being total bollocks. If you've ever experienced grief or difficulty, you find that slogan a little bit offensive. If you've ever experienced addiction, if you've ever been married or been a parent or been young and felt desperate for some direction or some meaning in your life, if you've ever lived an honest and reflective moment in your life, then as Spufford says, being told to just stop worrying and enjoy your life is total bollocks. And this is the beauty of All Saints Day. Today we aren't offered some empty consolation that offends or steers clear of anything remotely close to what we're actually experiencing. Instead, today we're reminded of Jesus' own tears for us and for our loved ones. We're reminded that God cares And ultimately, and more importantly, that God has acted. Jesus joins Mary and Martha in their grief. This is no celebration of death. It's not a celebration of life. Grief is appropriate, and Jesus weeps. But death does not have the last word in this passage from John, in this gospel story, in any of our stories. Jesus has the last word. Because Jesus is the last word. And the last word is a word of resurrection and eternal life. Jesus calls to Lazarus to come out of the tomb, and he does. Lazarus was dead. No doubt about it, for four days his body began to smell. We can't dismiss this with some explanation from modern medicine or psychology. He wasn't in a coma, he was dead. And the dead man Lazarus 
in his grave, hears the voice of the Son of God, and he comes out. He comes out of the tomb bound up. And what does Jesus do? Jesus unbinds him. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Jesus Christ. All of this grief that I've been talking about, among other things, leaves us feeling bound up by circumstances surrounding ourselves, as well as the mistakes and the choices that we make ourselves. If we think that we're all free, that we have free will to simply choose joy like the bus suggests, well, then we're bound to look at our families, our friends, and the people around us, and even ourselves with some form of constant judgment. Why can't he, why can't she get it together? If we think that we're all already free, that everything is okay, then we make it our jobs to bind up our neighbors further with expectations and judgments. This isn't what Jesus does, though. Jesus grieves with us, and Jesus acts for us. He unbinds us from our paralysis to sin and death, just as he did for Lazarus. He sees us for who we truly are, and despite everything, he calls us saints, and he calls us to eternal life. We make a mistake in thinking that saints are special, I think. That a saint is someone who had things figured out, who wasn't bound up with any of the problems of the world like the unsaintly rest of us. What it actually means to be a saint is to be someone who, just like Lazarus, in the midst, in the midst of what feels like or actually is death, what feels like a life bound up with mistakes and joys and celebrations and heartaches that we can't perfectly break ourselves out of and place ourselves permanently atop of some mountaintop of joy and victory. In the midst of that, a sinner hears the voice of Jesus come out of our graves and to be unbound, to be forgiven, and to be called a saint. That's what it means to be a saint. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of Jesus Christ. By calling us saints by the power and authority of Jesus over death, Lazarus and his sisters, and we too, may be assured both that the dead will be raised on the last day, and that in the meanwhile, nothing can separate us from the love and the presence of Jesus Christ. His love, it's a love that's stronger than death. His grace is more lasting than any grave. Death may remain a painful reality for us all today, but the power and the authority and the love of Christ are also a reality, and in the end, a more powerful reality. In Christ, the power of death has met its match, and it will be overcome. You have been unbound. And you too will rise again with all the rest of God's saints. Amen.